You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Professor David Kirkhope, along with your Dr. Esteban. Marconi Emeritus. Yes, Emeritus from the Americas here with you on Brave New Radio. William Patterson's own 88.7 on the FM dial. We are here today with co-host Randy Garcia, a student at the University of Hello, Randy. How are you? Good. How you guys doing? Doing great. Randy's with us today because he booked Philip Bailey of Artist Advocates. This is part of a summer class that we do. We're supposed to go to Nashville, but because everything was closed to a thing called COVID, we brought Nashville to us. So part of the class was about meeting people, networking with them, getting them on our radio show, editing the interview, interview getting it up. So uh, Randy booked Philip, and we're going to talk with Philip in a moment. But before we do that, Dr. Esteban, should we give thanks? We should. We, we should. All right, let's do it. All right, we'll do it. We'll do it. Thanks to the folks at Bandai Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent, and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you're ready. Thanks to Christine Vey, a wealth manager at The Forefront Group. Christine has helped many, 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 many professionals throughout the world manage their investments and plan after the retirement when somebody like you is building a bridge to your financial future, you should be thinking of the Forefront Group. And you should be going to christine.oy.they at forefront.com. Leave the last oy off for savings. Someone like you should be going to Music Biz 101 WP, signing up for our newsletter so you know who we're interviewing and when we're doing that and when you can listen to the podcast, which you can listen to at iTunes, SoundCloud. Marconi, I'm going to get us back on Stitcher. We used to be on Stitcher. Yes. Stitcher stunk. And so I, I actually took us off because it wouldn't update us anymore. So I had shows from like years ago. So I took us off. So I think I've got to put us back on, on Stitcher. I, yeah. 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 There we go. And follow us, Music Biz 101WP with the Nat sign, Facebook, Instagram, the Twitter. We're really happy that. We should also mention the University of Wayne Patterson, our music and entertainment industries program, one of the best in the world, according to a fellow named Bill Board. 
and Marconi, it's all because of you. No, please, it's you. That's right. It is because of you. So there's a word called adieu, and people use that all the time when they say without further, and then they use the word adieu. Right. So we're going to use that word in that sentence and say, without further ado, and we're going to pass it off to Randy, who's going to give a quick intro about Philip Bailey, who is on the line. Hello, Philip. Waving. Hello, Phil. How are you doing today? You, by the way, Philip Bailey. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. We will make no jokes, no jokes about Earth, Wind, and Fire, no <laughs> Phil Collins, these <laughs> jokes. We're not even going to bring it up. Nobody's going to know that we're going to talk about, not going to talk about that, okay? Because I don't think you've, you want to deal with that. You've dealt with that. You're over it. I, I don't need anybody to tell me that I am a shining star. I know I am. <laughs> you do not. <laughs> but after this, we can't tell our listeners that you are an easy lover. I am. I am. <laughs> I was going to sing some of it to you, but I'm not going to because I'm much more mature than that. So, Randy. Why don't you give a little intro about Philip, and then why don't we go from there? Go. Well, Philip Bailey, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. You know, with COVID, everything happening. I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast and talking to us. So Philip Bailey, for our listeners that are not aware, he runs a company called Artist Advocates. And something that really, really drew me in to his company, besides the amazing clientele that he's listed on the site that he's worked with, is their mission statement of what they do. So... I'm going to paraphrase here. You guys talk about building a strong connection with fans, helping artists do that, but you're allowing them to still focus or even focus even more time and energy on the craft itself. So before, you know, we get into that, I want to kind of take it back, like, you know, from the beginning, before Artist Advocates, more with you, like a background about you, if that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. I can give you kind of the, the quick three-minute version where essentially, you know, before anything, I was an artist. Oh. Um, I've been playing drums since I was a kid. I have a degree in orchestral percussion performance. But, you know, growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area and Oakland specifically, I, I've, I've been playing shows since I was 15 years old in a number of local bands, ended up being in a band where in the late 90s where we actually got signed by Lars Ulrich from Metallica oh, wow, to okay. his imprint on Electra Records and had him executive produce our album. And I, I was fortunate enough to go out on the road with them and open for Metallica and um, places like Giant Stadium in New York and all, all over the U.S. and, you know, spent some time on the road, made records. This is back, yeah, back in the, the late 90s. And then from there, you know, ended up doing session work uh, as wow. a studio drummer for a while and got to work on some really great projects. You know, worked with a guy named Jimmy Allen, who wrote the first Puddle of Mud record, was BMI Songwriter of the Year. And I worked with David Bryan from Bon Jovi on the musical Memphis that he wrote as he was workshopping it, trying to get funding for it. Ended up winning the Tony Award for Best Musical, I believe. So got to do that. That brought me to Los Angeles. And it was it, it was a boot camp, uh, <laughs> to say the least. You know, I was probably mid-20s at that time and got down here and learned pretty quickly that unless my name was Josh Fries or Kurt Biscara or Benny Caliuta, I probably wasn't going to be getting a lot of work. Yeah. So I, and I, I, was getting, I was getting some work, but not, not what I was looking to do. So I was fortunate enough that actually while I was still living in the Bay Area, I, I, I was doing a work as a web developer for Wired, the magazine. And during that time, I had really kind of gained a love and an affinity for the digital space. You know, just take one, one more step back is that when I got signed by Lars, that was actually in the middle of the entire Napster debacle. Oh, um, wow. Great time. Yeah. It was like, so we couldn't do an interview without having to comment 
on what our thoughts were on it. And it's, you know, and, and it's, you know, back then I think the, the consensus the band came to is like, Hey, you know, if an artist should have control of their work. Mm-hmm. And if, if an artist is fine with their, their, their works being available there, that's great. If, if they're not, well, that needs to be respected as well. So, you know, and I, I, I've tried to keep that mindset as a through line with everything I've, I've done over the last 20 years. So, but having this love for both music and the digital space, I decided to make the move in the early 2000s into the music business side and in digital marketing. So, you know, from I ended up doing some really great campaigns with bands like Queens of the Stone Age and A Perfect Circle and Dashboard Confessional and, and, and on and on running rock campaigns for like a third party marketing company. And then from there, I, I got picked up by Universal to go run their grassroots marketing division for the distribution side. So that was great. And, you know, about that time is when iTunes launched and nobody really knew what to do with it, you know? And so uh, me being the music guy and the digital guy just sort of raised my hand and said, Hey, I'll, I'll take it on. So that started a pretty long relationship with them as a partner with, with Universal for a few years and then ended up getting picked up by Concord Records to go run their digital commerce division for about eight years. So I did that. And while I was, as I moved over there, we got, that's when Concord had started a project or a partnership with Starbucks and their first signing was Paul McCartney. So <laughs> I, I walked into that and we released yeah. the album Memory Almost Full. That, 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 that was great. But during that time, we got to work with everybody, you know, from James Taylor to Paul Simon to Carol King to then because of other partnerships, Concord's Concord made working with St. Vincent and Little Dragon and Marilyn Manson um, before I ended up moving over to Capitol Records. And Capitol Records was great. I got to work on some pretty big budgets and work with some pretty big campaigns. Uh, you know, ironically, not long after I went to Capitol, Paul McCartney followed and came over to Capitol as well. So, <laughs> so it's because I, of I, you. I, McCartney yeah, goes where I, you go. Yeah, where are you exactly, going, man? Exactly. So, but no, I ended up spending three years at Capital running the Apple and YouTube and Pandora business and got, you know, got some, some great experience and got to, you know, hone my major label chops. But during that time, there were some things that, you know, I, I think I noticed and that just, I, I, at the end of the day, the major label system wasn't right for me to be in. It took it took some time to understand. Actually, I, I didn't fully understand until I got out of it. But you know, music business is a business, and their priorities are you know quite different from from somebody like me who puts the artist first in everything. It, I, I found myself running against a lot of the the focus that the major labels were doing. So some some you know restructuring happened over there, and I had an opportunity to move into a different role, and I, I actually used it as an opportunity to to hit the ejection seat. So I got out and kind of <clears throat> sat for a minute and figured, how can I help artists in this day and age and this new music business that is wildly different from 20 years ago when I was playing for a living? So a friend of mine got together and put our or put our heads together and decided to form Artist Advocates and. Essentially, what we are is, you know, we are, you can call us label services or a marketing services company. But what we do is that we help build infrastructure for an artist so that they can do this without having to rely on a major label or an indie label even. Some, you know, sometimes they're not ready for that. So we try to give them the tools to have lucrative and successful careers without having to sign their masters away or sign, or sign, their, sign their publishing away to bigger corporations who in six months may or may not be interested in working with them. 
So that's yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of the quickness of it, and we can we can dig deeper into kind of philosophy behind all that. But that's yeah, that's kind of the, the three minute version. Yeah, I want to ask you, how would you explain artist development, you know, to musicians? It it is finding the first thing is finding your voice, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Who are you as an artist? Yeah, and how vulnerable are you willing to be? You know, I think that, and that's that's the hardest part. And I think that's the hardest part of being a human. <laughs> outside of being an artist is like who are you can you be completely honest with who you are and because the reason why that's important is because the more honest you are the more likely you are you are to connect with those people who resonate with that right if I, i you know i we all you know i've worked with hundreds of artists in my time and the ones that always end up breaking through are those a it's a it's work ethic but two are the people who are honest and sincere and willing to be vulnerable with a group of strangers. You know, the, the, I, I tell my artists all the time is that, you know, you have to be willing to let that part of yourself out and, and, and into other people because that is what is gonna connect you with those fans. Those fans are gonna see you within them. And that's how you create a bond with your fans, right? Yeah. You know, and so in everything we do, that is the most important thing. You know, there's, I, you know, we work with all sorts of different platforms, whether, you know, whether it's like Bitly or Toned or, or, or Foundy and all these things, those are all great tools, right? They're all tools. But unless you are a authentic and sincere artist, none of that stuff matters. Very well said. Wow. That's, should be on a plaque. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's great what you said. I was interested. Did you have that artist development, like assistance in your time in a band, whether it was like in a local or like once you were like, you know, at the level being signed by Lars? Well, you know, it's funny because Lars used to say, he's like, you know, he, we, we signed, but before we even made a year before we even made our record, he put us in a van and, and he's, as he would say, he's like, I'm putting you in a van with a, with a bunch of happy meal tickets to just go out and play. Right. And that was great. We got, you know, we, we did some festival touring where we were, you know, we'd started in San Francisco, drove to Portland, then from Portland to Lawrence, Kansas, from Lawrence, Kansas to New York. And then like, you know, got to hover around New England for a minute before we headed to the Midwest. But like, we were on the go, you know, it was, it was it, you know, you think, oh, signed by Metallica, whatever. No, mm-hmm. it was like, get to work. <laughs> yeah. You know, the six of yeah. us in a, in a 12 passenger van hauling the trailer around the United States and, you know, braving food poisoning and, and weather changes, you know, I'll tell you, having, having to play a full throttled, you know, hard rock set in the middle of Lawrence's, Lawrence, Kansas with 95% humidity is, is not fun. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> you're it's hanging on for dear life, but you know, and so that, yeah, their artist development. Absolutely. That's what we were doing. I think the definition of artist development has changed over the years right there are a lot of kids in their bedrooms these days who are making music a lot of you know touring and live shows are not what they used to be when you know i think the the method is not different i think you know jimmy ivy used to talk about like oh how do i know a band is good it's like because there's a line around the block right yeah. you still have that in a digital sense right or who's clamoring online who's cl- you know following on whether it's soundcloud or 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 you know, Spotify or social media that, you know, is so it's the sort of the, the method has changed, but the ideology is still, still the same. But yeah, I think in terms of what artist development is now, it's, it, it is that finding your voice, being authentic, and then reaching out and putting your music in front of potential fans and, and making those connections. That's really what it's about. And that's the 
bulk of the work that we're doing right now at Art as Advocates is we're working, you know, we work every, from everyone from complete indie artists with no management. We're working with management companies. I'm working with indie labels and I'm working with major labels. And so it's all across the spectrum. But the most rewarding and I think the most effective work that we're doing right now is working with these artists and management companies who are, you know, they're just trying to build an audience. And there's such an opportunity for that right now. You know, nobody's perfect. I, I, I'm an Apple guy. I consider myself a fanboy. But Spotify has done a really great job at providing a platform for artists to build the following. And then not just build that following, but also being able to message out to them, whether it's tour dates or merch or, you know, uh, new releases. You know, I, I think they're unique in that sense uh, amongst the, all the other DSPs where, you know, the, you can get somebody to follow you on Spotify. And once they're doing that, you have all sorts of different ways to communicate to them and all different ways to, to make offerings to them, which none of the other DSPs are doing for some reason. So if a lot of our work is based around how do we grow the Spotify audiences and get them to stick around. Okay. I want to ask, so, you know, the music industry, like any form of the entertainment industry, whether it's music, theater, it's always changing, whether it's mm -hmm. within the year, the next two years, it's always changing. So how do you and your team keep up with, you know, what people are listening to? What is not, as, I don't want to say trendy, but like, what is it that you guys do to keep up? And, you know, you notice that's like, all right, way of doing things might be the way to go because not every practice is going to stay the same. Right, right. And when we started this a year and a half ago, you know, some of the sort of the tactics that we used, nobody else was really doing. In the last three to four months, there are actually a couple of companies that are trying to automate what we do. And that's fine. You know, that's great. It creates some challenges. But, I, you know, I always say is like, you know, people who are doing that, that's great. They're trying to make money. I'm not here to make money. I, I, I have a mentality that if I'm doing the right thing, the money will come. And it all goes back to the, that core of why we do what we do. And it's about the artist. You have tech companies getting into this business. That's great. They're, they're creating a widget. Great. How long is that widget going to be around? It's going to be around until it's not making them enough money and they'll move away from it. So then you have a, 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 people, a number of people utilizing that platform and the platform is obsolete now. So now they've, they've got to retool and figure out what to do. I'm still here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm still here because I'm here for the right reasons. And yeah, mind you, like, you do. yeah, and mind you, I use some of those tools because it helps streamline my business a little bit. That's great. But at the end of the day, like, you know, if you're talking in terms of advertising, right? I know, I know the Facebook and YouTube ad dashboards. I know those in and out. So I look at those tools that are available to people and they're limited. You know, you can do some things with them great, but you can't, you can't drill down. You know, we do that, but I'm always looking at different ways to get involved. You know, I think ultimately from a business sense, you know, doing services are great, but it, at the end of the day, you've got to have some equity. So we're always looking at the right opportunities. You know, my partner and I have been talking over the last week. There are three artists that want us to manage them, right? So, okay, maybe, maybe that's how we expand our business. You know, we, we are small enough where we're, we can be nimble. Major labels are bringing me in to, to kind of tell them what they're doing wrong. And I think 99% of the time it's like, it's, you're, you're so big, you can't turn the ship around <laughs> at a rate that needs to be turned around, right? Fortunately, we, we don't suffer from that. So we, we can we can turn quickly if it makes business sense to do something. And you know, we we've done that. You know, we're we're doing we're doing artist growth, we're doing marketing and label services, we're consulting, but we're you know, at the end of the day we're helpers and we're you know, that's that's what we do. And the good thing about being a helper is that you can be a helper in so many different facets of this business. And you know, we consider all all those opportunities as opportunities for us to to help an artist make a difference. 
so when you talk about the major labels, what would you say they're doing wrong when you say they're not moving quickly enough without naming, you know, names or anything, but what yeah, right. do you need to do I, that I, they could do more quickly? Well, I think what I, I've learned and, and, you know, I worked in the major label system. I worked for an independent label that was, that was distributed by major. So I, I've been in the major label system for over 15 years and I have a number of friends and colleagues who work at the majors. I think the primary issue is artist development. The process in which that happens as a major label, it's hard to identify. I don't know that they have the stomach for it because it's not fun in in what you, in, in the sense of what you think the music business is. But I call it, it's like, it's the unsexy work of, pardon the, the football analogy, but the blocking and tackling of just building of an audience, building a brand for an artist. A lot of what happens is if a major signs an artist too early, they are at risk uh, of just being forgotten, right? It's like when a, when a label signs an artist, the clock is now ticking on an ROI and typically an ROI with one to two fiscal calendar years. You know, you hear with these stories about the past of Bruce Springsteen when he got signed, it was like, we don't expect to see you for four albums. Go make your records. We'll see you in a while, right? Come back when you're ready. Those days aren't around anymore. Now is, you know, A&R happens on SoundCloud. A&R happens on Instagram. You know, they're not in clubs. They're not spending the time with the artists. They're looking at, you know, growth trajectory through social media and streams. A good friend of mine, who's uh, head of A&R at one of the majors, and he's a, he's a former artist and we work together at Capitol and we've had this conversation and you know, we have similar backgrounds, but, you know, say it takes a minimum of say two to four years of blood, sweat, tears, trauma, you name it, to make an album and have that album kneecapped in the boardroom on somebody's whim of, oh, it's just not working, right? I think there are many of us, uh, you know, I, I like to think there are more of us than there are, but there are many of us who have the responsibility to try to run cover for those artists and keep that from happening, right? We are working in a business where people are pouring their heart out to create a product, right? And it sucks. It's a product. You know? is, Once yeah. a barcode is on it, it's a product. It's a commercial business and that's just the reality of it. But, you know, that process happens more often than not. And I mean, we've all seen the documentaries and heard the stories of artists being signed to keep from being signed to other labels and then they get shelved, you know, but it all comes down to artists signing record deals at not the right time and the label doesn't have the energy to put into artist development. Or they'll throw a bunch of money at it up front, but if it doesn't take right away, well, we got to move on to what's next because, you know, who knows? You know, Kendrick Lamar's got a record, so we got to get every clear the decks for Kendrick. You know, mm -hmm. that's that's just the reality of it. So I would say that, yeah, the artist development is absolutely the biggest issue with the majors. Meanwhile, the agent, maybe a promoter, they're also, and obviously the manager too, they're all helping with artist development in terms Hopefully, of like the yeah. 360 idea of an artist beyond just the recording and the label part. If you have a solid manager um, who understands this business and understand, and I'm fortunate to work with a few of them who really are dedicated to their artists and, and see beyond what's right in front of them. And they, they have the vision to see what's going to happen 12, 24, 36 months down the road and where they think that artist can grow into. Absolutely. If you have somebody like that on your team, you're golden. So when I was coming up, like, you know, years ago as a teenager, you know, I was in a metal band and doing, I didn't really know much about the music business side. And I had this misconception, which I'm sure like a lot of musicians do, that as soon as you get a record deal or you get some sort, even from like an indie, like, it's just smooth sailing from there. You know, the worst things you'd have to worry about is just like travel and 
getting a tour of anything. So mm-hmm. that is a huge misconception that obviously, you know, once oh, yeah. you stay in, you know, the music business as a musician or even behind the scenes, you learn like there's so much more to it. So what I want to ask you, once business becomes a part of it, I tend to notice and I've been victim of this, you know, artists, they tend to either get scared, discouraged, or they tend to feel overwhelmed because, you know, you have terminology of like, you know, revenue, income, you know, you have, you have to set up a team, you have to, you need an agent, you know, attorney, all mm-hmm. this stuff. So what would be a way to like tell artists to kind of accept those things and not be turned away to not be like this is the reality of things like be mm-hmm. genuine to your music but you know it is a business so how would you have them not feel that type of negativity coming into it well the first thing i always ask an artist when i meet with them what are your goals what do you want out of this because that's that's going to inform every step forward that you make if you just want to make music great make it pour your heart out you don't do, need to do anything other than make music. You know, if you want to do anything outside of that, well, there's some things that you need to set up. You know, do you just want to go play shows at, at the bar down the street? Great. That's pretty easy to do, you know. But if you if you want to have a career as an artist, well, you need to understand that this is a business and there's some steps that you may need to take that at times may seem like are compromising your art. And if you if you can do that and be successful without ever compromising, great. But it is a, at the end of the day, it's a business and, you know, not to say they're, they're creative solutions. You know, I, I have friends who are in bands and that's what they do. And they make music by writing jingles. You know, nobody knows that it's them writing the jingles. You know, it's, it's, it's two separate, you know, rock band Z and then, you know, Joe, you know, Joe Schmo who's writing the jingles, though he's in Rock Band Z. Nobody knows Rock Band Z is part of making these jingles. You can do that. So it's about getting creative. There are a lot of opportunities right now because of how distribution is available, how social media has opened up the platform to artists. You can get stuff out there and you can find audiences around the world. I make no qualms with my artists in the beginning, especially baby bands that like, you know what? We are going to get you some fans in Indonesia and India. And people always kind of raise their eyebrows at that. But I'm like, you realize India has 1.2 billion people. It's some of, it's like the top 3% of the intellectual capacity of the globe. A booming middle class, a quarter of those people speak English. DSPs are live in those territories. And they haven't had the opportunity to have access to the internet like we have in the U.S. for the last 20 some odd years. So they are consuming at such a high rate and they're just grabbing onto so much that they see. And every time they stream, you know, a song, I'd say this is kind of one of my my cliche lines is like somebody listening to your music in Delhi or Bangalore is just as valuable as Detroit or New York or Austin or Los Angeles right now. You know, obvious streaming rates from territory to territory may may be a little different, but there there's an opportunity there. But what you can do is if you focus on that and, you know, you get some revenue generated from those territories and then you can put that revenue back into a campaign so that you're growing audiences in, in other markets. So, you know, if your goal is to reach people with your music, there's no time like now. So in that case, are you saying the concept is to diversify the streaming base to generate more revenue and you can take that revenue, let's say you want needed it for merch or you needed it to go on the road or something like that, then mm-hmm. you on the road in a place that's more affordable. Is That's maybe laying the groundwork for going to India in two or three years, but right now it's develop more here in the States or no? Yeah, it's, it's, it's about getting, you know, not getting too into the weeds of what I do, but Spotify is 
fully in Apple Music and I think Amazon as well are all fully live in in India, right? As the example, as you can be a US based artist, if you get your music in front of potential fans in those territories, and they're listening to music on those services, you're generating revenue. And you can choose to use that revenue however you'd like, you can put it into merch, you can put it into more music, you know, but at the same time, you're also growing that base, you're showing those platforms that your music is on that you're also engaging with fans there. And that'll catch notice of them too. That's important. I used to have this argument a lot when I was working for the labels or, you know, you're given a task of we've got this artist and their records coming out and we need support from Apple or we need support from Spotify, go get it. But so many times there was no plan. Maybe they're relying on success of a past release. So you got to go kind of, you know, walk in, walk into a, a DSP and say like, Hey, this is so great. Well, you know what? The, the minimum price to, of entry into this game is having great music. <laughs> There's a lot of really great music out there. Okay. So that, that's sort of a wash. Okay. Yes. We know it's great. What else? What's the story? Why does this matter? Why should I give a crap about the song or this album or this artist? There's got to be a story. There's got to be a reason because the, the balance to all this opportunity that I'm talking about for artists right now is that there's a lot of noise in the marketplace too. So you've got you've to you know, increase that signal to noise ratio now. It's like, how are you breaking through? How is it when I have 10 new releases in front of me, I'm going to pick this one? Why? And it's, you know, the, in, in a world where people tend to be quite entitled and assume that people should love what they do. No. What, why? why? Why do you matter? You got to fight for it. So, you know, going back, you, yeah, you can build those bases with the DSPs by reaching out to, to potential fans and show activity there. So that at some point, if you need them as a partner, you can say you've done the work. And especially when you can go to someone like Spotify, who allows you, has a public facing number for followers, say, hey, look at the number of followers I, I've, I've grown. And, you know, here's the trajectory over the last six months of how we've grown. And this is because I've been spending money driving people to your platform. That's a pretty good argument for support. And where are they spending money then? Are they doing uh, Instagram ads? What, you know, what sort of digital campaigns are they doing to drive that? Yeah, it's probably, you know, it's Facebook ad platform is a great thing. It's pretty easy to figure out for basic stuff. So yeah, Facebook, Instagram are great. YouTube, there's some value there. For artists, it's a little difficult getting traction there, but yeah, you just got, you just got to put your music in front of what you think your potential fans are. And I think the other side of that is, you know, if you're going to do that, make sure you have great content, great video content, and you have a really strong idea of who you are as an artist, going back to what I was saying initially, and not just that, but also understanding who you might sound like. You know, we, as artists, we all love to say how unique we are and that we're, we're, we're like nothing anyone has ever heard. That That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> that pe- people don't look for anything they've never heard they look for things that speak to their soul right on, on some level it's got to connect with their soul yeah. you know it, you know i i went through my my prog phase when i was younger and i was playing and, oh yeah you know i i love bands that not getting too much but you know just like just stuff that's all mathematical right that's great and that connects with some people and then that mm-hmm. that speaks to some people's soul that absolutely does but if that's what you want to do, understand that there's going to be a ceiling on what the potential is there. So it's, you know, it's, it goes back to what your goals are. How many people do you want to reach? How, how significant of a place in a person's heart do you want to hold? And I, I don't, you know, I think that's kind of what makes what we do a little more unique is that I don't, 
I don't know that other companies that do similar things to us are having those types of conversations with their artists. You know, all the things that we do, it, it all comes back. They're just tool sets. Our job is to connect people and make emotional bonds with fans. Yeah, I really like that. I feel like the way you're explaining things is, you know, you're really showing, especially like, you know, up and coming artists that we're not just going to throw you to the wolves and be like, hey, here you go. Here's like some money up front, do an album or here's a deal. Hope for the best. And that's it. Like you guys are really guiding these artists along where they can really focus on their craft still. And they're still learning, not just like what you guys do, but they're learning about the business itself. So that way they're not totally confused of like, oh, why is this happening here? Why is this happening there? Why? Is right. This, and, yeah. and, and, that, and, that, and that's important too. And, and that's a big part of what we try to do as well is educate our artists. You know, mm -hmm. they're hopefully if, if we're successful in what we're doing, there's going to be time in hope, you know, maybe the near future where they're going to have interest from a label or a management company or a publishing company. And we want to set our artists up and our clients up for when they have those conversations, that they are approaching those conversations from a place of knowledge and strength in the business rather than fear and anxiety because they don't know how to, how to have those conversations. And that, yeah. that's really important to us is that we, we want our artists to succeed because ultimately it goes back our priority and our services to the artist first. And if we can do that and we can set them up, great. But, you know, and I'll say this, like labels aren't bad. Labels aren't bad at all. They are, they are a lever to pull when the time is right. That's a great way to phrase it. Wow, I never right? thought it that way, yeah. You know, I, and I, I, I went through this, like we all, especially growing up, man, playing and we all, man, get the record deal. We got yeah. a record deal. <laughs> we got a freaking record deal. Yeah. Okay. So now that means it's time to get to work. I worked yeah. with a really fantastic indie band that was really successful on their own. And this is when I was working at a big indie label. They were touring. They were making, like they were turning a profit, making money, doing what they did. They came, they signed with us, and then they stopped working because they thought the label was going to do it, which oh, okay. is the absolute wrong way to look at it. You've got to look at the label as your jet fuel. If you are doing everything right on your own, form that partnership with somebody who can launch you into the stratosphere. If you're cruising and you're good and you want to grow, well, yeah, those conversations with, with labels who can give you rate, maybe radio support that you didn't have or proper, proper marketing dollars that you didn't have. You know, there are going to be some sacrifices there, but if you're successful enough, maybe it's a joint venture where maybe they're just licensing your master for five to 10 years and then you get it back and they're not owning it. You got to think of it in those ways. But if you're signing with a record label, thinking that the record label is going to do the work for you, there's a line I'll give potential clients and it is, I can only run as fast as you. I cannot run faster than you. I can't be in front of you. And if you're not going to do the work on your own, how can you expect me to go out and advocate higher for you than you're advocating for yourself? We had Julie wow. Greenwald, COO of Atlantic Press. Oh, yeah. Julie's complaint about artists was that once they get signed, exactly what you're saying. You know, they take their foot off the gas and all of a sudden they think, my world is complete. I'm signed to a lady. Mm -mm. Go, yeah, made nope. do, do your thing. Now I'm just going to sit yeah. and you tell me, you know. Yeah. They, lose, they lose that edge, you know, they, and, and so um, what you're saying is great because what you're saying is you got it. It's, it's a grind forever, really, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, you know they're you know one of the digital partners I used to work with, and actually, it's a really good friend of mine. Used to say this to me all the time, and it was great because I I had candid conversations with him. But is when you're bringing that record into a partner looking for support or looking for the big look, it got to a point they're like, okay, what's the plan? Because we can magnify what you're doing, but you have to be doing something first. You know, you put that magnifying glass on nothing, and it's still nothing. You got to have that story. You got to have the plan. And that's just how it goes. Because ultimately, if you're not putting the work in, it just, I, I can come up with analogies all, all, all day long. But yeah, at the end the of the day, yeah, at the end of the day, is that you've got to take control of your future. You can dole a little bit of that fate into other people. But at the end of the day, all those people need to answer to you. You've got to be the captain of your ship. Because if you're not, you're going to get burned in the end. Or you're going to feel like you've gotten burned. I've been signed. I've been signed to Indies. I've been signed to a major label. I never felt like I got burned by the label because I had very clear vision of what was happening when I went into it. I was fortunate enough that we, we were signed by a label that when they offered us the deal, the first thing they said is get a great lawyer, get a great lawyer. I'll tell you this more than man, more than managers, most value that I ever got for the dollars that I spent as an artist, attorney and business manager. Those two people are everything. Managers are great because they help with that creative vision and they can pull all the different business channels in, right? They can tie the label to the tour, to the merch, to the publishing. That's having a great manager is super valuable. But if you have a deal and you have nobody managing your money to where you're going to get audited and you're, you've got somebody skimming money off the top of what you're doing, it's no good. Lawyers and business managers are everything. Now, there may not be a time where you need those yet, but just know that when you pull that trigger to start playing in the majors with your career, those are the people that you need. You just said what we usually preach is that when you yep. do get the, the record deal, if you're looking for a record deal, that's when you join the major leagues. That's mm -hmm. when you put on the uniform. Nothing else yep. mattered before. It's right. from that day on. So it doesn't mean you stop working. It means you work actually harder because the other Absolutely. is just, just a warm-up. Now mm -hmm. you get your chance to make it in a major league. So we usually use that analogy, which is the same as what we're all saying here. You, you were talking about this indie band before that they were doing great on their own, you know, they're mm -hmm. turning in a profit. And then when they signed, their situation happened. So in your opinion, when do you think a band could start saying, I am being professionally paid amount where it's not just like, oh, it covers my gas to the next show or it covers my gas to go home? Numbers wise, when do you think a person starts saying like, I'm turning a profit in? Well, it depends on where you live. It, that answer is going to be very different here in Los Angeles versus somebody who lives in Nashville or somebody who lives in Cincinnati, right? You know, cost of living is a big factor there. If yeah. you can manage to live with your parents and play shows on weekends and play in a bar and pull in enough money to cover whatever needs you have, you're a professional musician in, in my eyes. You know, if you're covering your needs, making money. Now, I, I think one thing that's very different now is that, you know, there's an opportunity for all of us to be creative in the ways that we make our money. I still play. I'm in a band. You know, I just did a West Coast run right before COVID hit. You know, we're talking into labels right now and producers right now about what we're doing. But all the guys in the band, one guitar player is a studio technician. My bass player writes jingles. <laughs> The, my, my other guitarist is a software developer, but all of us are, this is the best band I've been in years in terms of musicianship. And we're all making money. We're all keeping our lights on and 
our mouths fed and roofs or roofs over our head, all, all that stuff. But, you know, it's, I think we've always had this sort of fantasy of what it was to be a professional musician. And, and just like in marriage, <laughs> um, <laughs> the fantasy is often quite different from reality. Yeah. If you are able to improve yourself as an artist, as a musician, perform, record, go out on the road, do that, you, there's no balloon drop you get for being a professional musician, right? I guess that's my way. There, actually, there, there's a great, great podcast I listen to called Drummer's Resource. And it's basically, it's all working drummers. But most of those guys have some other side form of income, like really top touring guys. I can't remember the guy's name, but uh, I think Jason... I can't remember his last name, so I won't say it, but basically a guy plays, he, right now he's playing drums for Cher, right? He used okay. to play for Chris Cornell. He, one of his first gigs was playing for Puddle of Mud. The guy got into real, for, he took his first check, like he got signed to a band. He took that first advance check he got and bought a house. And then he, then he fixed it up and started renting it out. Now he owns like four or five houses. So when he's not on the road, he doesn't have to worry about when his next gig is coming. Is he a professional musician? Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's one greatest modern drummers that's out there playing right now. He's a monster, but he's also in real estate. And there are tons of musicians out there like that, right? You're like, mm -hmm. you can't be too precious about it. The record deals of the 80s are not happening anymore. So it's, yeah, you, you, gotta, you gotta understand the reality of it. If you, if you can make music and keep a roof over your head, great. If you can go out and tour, great. But understand that you're likely going to have to put your hand in a couple of different pots in, in terms to bring in revenue. And all that means is it's going to allow you to be more creative. And it's going to give you more time because you're not out wor worrying so much about making money mm -hmm. because you have some revenue streams coming in to support so that you can go be an artist. Yeah, and I re I'm really it's glad part, It's you're... a very entrepreneurial mindset that you have to have. Yeah, yeah, 100. What I, want, I wanted to add to what you were saying is that just a few years ago in the early 2010s and like, you know, towards 2009, I was very into metalcore and what I was noticing at that time, you know, when Rise Records was like blowing up was a lot of those bands when I would talk to them asking them like, oh, cool stories of the road. They would tell me that like, yeah, technically some of us are homeless because if we're not staying at our parents' house and these guys are already like in the early 20s at this time or mid 20s, mm -hmm. they're like, our job only gives a few weeks off because we pay, we all have to share yeah. an apartment together. It's like six of them, you know, plus their crew. And I feel like nowadays, regardless of the genres, the bands that you're kind of talking about is that they, a lot of them have incomes of different forms because it's now more prevalent that you can't just yeah. rely on one source of income. And especially yeah. with COVID hitting, you know, nobody knew this was going to happen. I've got tons of musician friends right now who are hurting so bad yeah. because of all of this. That sucks. It yeah. sucks. And it's nobody's fault. That's just the nature of it. We have, you know, a pandemic that has claimed over 100,000 people's lives in this country. Like, yeah, we got to stay safe. If your goal is to get signed to like Warner Universe, like really big name records, is it preferable for the label to look, seek out the artist or the artist to seek out that bigger label? I think if you're not even talking about music, you always want to be wanted, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's nothing sexier than being yeah. wanted, right? So, yeah. You know, that, that's it. I, but I think it, it all goes back to when is the right time to pull those levers? And it's, for every, it, it's different for everybody. So with Artist Advocates, I know that you guys are located in LA. Do you guys have like physical offices outside of LA or are you guys just solely based like in LA? That's no, like we're just here. But you know, I work with clients in Australia. I have clients in the UK. I've got clients in Atlanta, in New York. Like it's, it's all over the place. 
it, for me, it's a, it's a little funky, especially when we have active Australian clients, because there's mm-hmm. literally like a three hour window every day where your working hours line up. <laughs> um, yeah. That's a little harder to do, but yeah, we, we make it work. I saw in the roster people you guys worked with, you know, you had like Paul McCartney, Kanye West. How do you guys end up getting in contact with clientele of that caliber? How does that, yeah. you know, happen? So, you know, in terms of, I worked with Sam when I was at Capital. I worked with Paul McCartney when I was at Concord and Capital. My partner worked with Kanye when she was at Island. You know, those are, those are artists that we've all had history with. In terms of current artists, you know, right now, this year, I've worked with Rita Wilson, Tom Hanks's wife, and Jose Feliciano, and a number of other kind of, I'm working with some estates right now of, big like jazz catalog artists. We've been really fortunate that we've, my partner and I have built our reputations over the last 15, 20 years. We haven't had to ask for any work. Every work we do is people calling us and saying we need help. So that may change. Yeah, I expect it will at some point, but for the last year and a half, we haven't had to chase work. So we're, we're really lucky. But, and that, that's another thing about, about the music business in general is that I used to teach music marketing at a music school here in LA and everybody wanted like, how do I network, network, network? And I think they go to some sort of mixer and they're going to get a record deal or they're going to get a, a, a job at a label. And it's like, no, this business is really, really small. Yeah. I went from a period in my life where I was working for one company who was trying as hard as they could to push me out. Within a week, I left that company and became their client. Talk about the tables turning. And their attitude towards me changed drastically overnight. Oh my God. That happens in this business because it's yeah. so small. Small world. It's a very small world. So, and I'm, I, I call myself a, a high performing introvert. I'm not great at going out to parties and snoozing with people. But what I'm great at is having smaller, intimate conversations and being honest and sometimes telling people what they need to hear rather versus what they want to hear. And I, I like to think that I'm respected for that just because I'm not blowing smoke up somebody, mm-hmm. you know, that goes a long way and they may not like it in that moment, but hopefully they look back maybe in a week or a month or a year and say, Oh yeah, Philip kind of was right. So yeah. I've been doing that for, for 20 years and uh, I will never sell something that I don't believe in because all I'm as good as is my credibility. If I'm known as the guy who brings in duds, and tries to bend them over the barrel to get stuff out of them for that, they're not going to answer my calls. They're not going to answer my emails. Right? So all I, all I have is my reputation. So I'm, 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 we're very precious about that. If, there's, if we're precious about anything, it's that. So let's say I, I manage an artist and I'm interested in going the next step. And so I reach out to you. How does it work? We talk, artist talks, you kind of get a real sense. You talked about goals and things like that. You don't have to give me pricing, but obviously there's a... Yeah. Cost to cost like a quarterly thing? Is it a yearly? You know, what kind of setups you have for that? And it may be different. Yeah, yeah, it it depends on the project. That's another thing I love about owning my own business is that I can choose to involve myself or not involve myself with with anybody I think is the right thing or not. But yeah, you're right. It's usually there's an initial conversation. We listen to music. We have the discussion about goals and I want to know what the story, what makes an artist tick. You know, I found there's an article I I found, which I I draw from 
a lot is like the 20 questions you should be asking every potential client. They've got to have that grasp of who they are and where they want to go. We do that. We have those conversations. Then we look at what their needs are. Some artists I work with have a great management company who have so many different bases covered. There's some artists who have a manager who really is only good at kind of getting them some local shows. So in terms of helping develop their social media presence or helping them get music delivered or a distributor selected for, for the music, we help out with that when we need to. So we kind of get a lay of the land from them and then we'll draw up a plan based on that. Typically, we try to have a minimum of a three-month commitment just so we can have an ability to kind of look at the project over a period of time and make sure that we're contributing and showing value. To me, being able to show value is everything. If I can't help you, I don't have any interest in taking your money. It's not worth it. Because at the end of the day, if you're not happy with the work I do and I've parted you with, with your dollars, you're going to talk bad about me. And that goes back to my reputation being effective. Say we will finish a three-month commitment, but I've been working with them for a year and a half. The first client I ever worked with is still my client number one. I have about four or five clients right now that, that have been with me for almost two years. And sometimes they're really busy, sometimes they're not. But we're always there for them. And they know that they can rely on me when they need to. Every artist faces this dilemma relevancy, like, am I still relevant? Mm -hmm. You know, am I still relevant in my, you know, local regional scene? Am I still relevant on a national, international level? You're thinking about, all right, I have my first debut album. I have my first four albums. How yeah. do I stay relevant within the next, not five years, but the next 15 to 25 years? How do you think an artist stays? There are a couple of ways to look at it. The number one thing I'll say is that sincerity and authenticity is always relevant. There's that. I think production techniques, sonic styles, they'll always change, right? But if you can remain authentic and sincere through all of that, you'll be fine. But I, I think you actually, you ask an interesting question considering where we are right now. Over the last two weeks, I have stopped all my advertisements for my artists, except for maybe one or two, because only one or two of those artists are speaking to what's going on in the country right now. The, the, the country's in a very interesting space. And the, this is the thing, as an artist, you need to be able to re, kind of read the room. And, and I'm not saying that you look at what's going on and pander to that, because that, that's the absolute worst thing you could do. Take some steps back. I look at artists like Miles Davis or John Coltrane or Charlie Parker, who were their music was a reflection of the society that they were living at the time. And, and you're are always, you know, that's our, our responsibility as artists is, is holding that mirror up and showing people who they are, right? So there are some artists who are really good at it. There are some artists who are really good at just making good time dance music, and that's fine. But there's always, there's always a time and a place for this stuff. <laughs> that's why people were so excited for Rage Against the Machine to play Coachella this year yeah be honest right there's the, yeah, there, there's something going on there, there's a temperature in this country right now that people are feeling a little different than they were a few years ago you know getting back in terms of relevancy you, you got to be able to read the room what are people hurting for what are people yearning for that's where you kind of meet in the middle as an artist you can you can do whatever the hell you want as an artist but you need to understand how, how what you do is going to be received by people it all goes back to, to that sort of how are you connecting with people? What are, what are you giving people that they're going to resonate with? I'd say the, the core of my development as a music listener was through the 80s and 90s. You know, I was born in the mid 70s. I used to joke that like, if you were born after Van Halen's 1984, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I was like nine when that record came out. But no, like I, I was graduating from high school when Nirvana hit and Soundgarden hit. So like I, I grew, I was like right in the middle of that grunge thing. But that's a great example because 
up until that point, hair metal was massive. That was relevant. But mm-hmm. literally within a, a three to four month period, it got flipped upside down. And then it was no longer relevant. Something that, you know, going on, there's, there's a time for fun, good time music. And then there's time where people need to reckon with what's going on in their lives and in their worlds. And, you know, when you have things like, you know, whether it's wars or injustices, things, people's temperature is going to change of, of how they, how they want to exist within those spaces. You know, we're seeing right now from a business angle, music consumption on things like jazz and classical music is way up because we're all trapped at home. You know, yeah, those are the things true. that calm us a little bit, right? It, is San Get, the Getz Gilberto album with Girl from Ipanema, that record is how many years old? You know, it's decades old. It's very relevant right now because it makes yeah. people feel good. But it's authentic. It's that record is authentic. Genuine. It's right? genuine. Exactly. I think that's the best way I can explain. Things talked about seem super authentic and genuine. I believe that's why you've been having the success you've been having. And, you know, like I said from the beginning, like that's what really drew me in to like, you know, want to ask you all these questions and interview. So what's the future looking for artist advocates? Like what are the next steps you guys are taking? You know, we're always trying to stay out in front of what's going on. Like I said, there are people, there are more people who are starting to do what we do. That's fine. I think we do it better. But at the same time, it's it creates more noise. So we're always looking at okay, how do we sell or how do we separate ourselves in a way that is more beneficial to our clients or our artists? So we're always looking at that. So so is that do we get into the management business? Like we said, it's I'm fortunate that we don't have to have a ton of clients to consider ourselves successful. Our roster right now, I think we have maybe ten to fifteen. Oh. on some level of activity that's plenty for us that's plenty and it, and it's a good mix too because it's a, you know I, i've got a couple major label clients and a couple indie label clients so it, it allows us and gives us room so that we can serve the indie artists more you know we can subsidize that a lot so yeah it, it, we're always we're always out looking for what the new tools are at the, at the end of the day people want they want to make achieving something easier to do and we try to provide that for them so i think you know, I, I can't give a specific answer for what's next, but I think ultimately it's about we will continue to support our artists and, and make their lives easier. Awesome, man. Awesome. Philip, you've made our lives very easy. <laughs> this has been great, and we need to wrap it up. So this has been excellent. We yeah. really appreciate you coming aboard. Yeah, been great. Thank you so yeah. much, Phil. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot Happy from you. Happy to man. talk. Great. Yeah, yeah. Randy, thank you for... Uh, finding Philip and having him come aboard. It was very good. You yeah. did a good job. Very yeah, good. Of course. Randy. Randy, you speak well. Right. You should uh, think about radio for your life. You did very well. <laughs> I've heard that before, actually. Yeah. Very impressive. Very <laughs> impressive. Thank Not you. as impressive as Philip Bailey. So thank you again. That is Philip. true. That it. is true. Yeah. Maybe one day you'll be a shining star. <laughs> That's You're it. Good at that. There we go. All right. Well, take care, Philip. We'll be in touch. Take care, man. All right. Take See care. You thank Bye. you. So Marconi, that went very well. Yes. Yes. Very good, Randy. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. Excellent, was, Randy. Thank you. And we want to thank our listeners for listening and for all of their love and support over all these years. It doesn't mean we're done forever with <laughs> this particular show. But Dr. Esteban, what do we say at the every at the end of every show? Because we don't say hello, do we? Oh, you know what? I, I say adios. I'm curious what you say. No. That <laughs> he said. <laughs> At the end of every show, because he wants them to go on forever. He's having so much fun with you great, wonderful listeners. He's going to say... No. He's going to say no. All right, so <laughs> the count of three, I'm going to say adios, then we're going to wrap it up. So thank you for listening. Break the radio, Music Biz 101 and more. He's Dr. Esteban. I'm Professor David Kirk. Phil, the other fellow, Randy Garcia. Three, two, one, adios! Yo. Adios. Adios.